lunch at Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good. Hello, and welcome to Uncle Mo's family feed bag. We're through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows, and the creamy middles of The Simpsons, season 1 to 12, with random episode generation. I'm, of course, your host, Tyler McRae, and join with me, he's the, well, I can officially call him now the super sub, the impact player of this here podcast there. Uh, well, it, the episode will come out well afterwards, but as we speak, Cal is now flying into the COVID land of America, looking to go to Austin, Texas there and raise some hell there, or at least, you know, from a legal party sense there. So whilst he's enjoying that, I'm going to have a few impact subs off the bench, you know, my Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's there. My uh, my human songs, my Lucas Moras, all sorts there. So we've got Danny Birdsell back on here, and uh, yeah, he's a cheeky old sub because this is what one he actually likes there. Danny, uh, good to have you back, and care to explain your cheekiness? Hi there, Tyler. Happy to be back. And well, you know, it's this is what my fourth or fifth time on the podcast, and I seem to be very much always on the border. I've only ever done season one or season twelve episodes, which famously do not have that much in terms of quality as seasons go but we find one of the better episodes of season one and i'm finally on for it one of these days i'll actually get on for the for the creamy middles but so far no luck it's all about the journey you will get to your destination soon i do promise that and in fact i have seen danny in uh, the past month or so there in fact the last time we met up it well it was supposed to be <laughs> gentle pints but ended up being like five or more so and then just noshing away through some fine japanese cuisine there uh i don't really know what went uh, uh wrong there <laughs> i mean there's no such thing as an english person just going for us for a quick pint in the pub no no it's not like going to the winchester and letting it blow over there it's just always just you know when the spirits come out you know it's going to be <laughs> you know it's going to be dangerous now, I remember also speaking, well, the last time we properly spoke in person, you uh, put me on to a fella called The Real Gyms on YouTube there. Now, could you, because uh, you're, you're more of an avid watcher of him than I am, could you give a little rundown of um, what he's like covering Simpsons content? Because remember you explained to me, oh, in this season, it's the theme is this and the theme is that. Now, I'm not going to have you just look it up randomly. That would be a bit cruel there. But do you remember, like, seasons 1 to 12, so it fits in here? Like, uh, any themes from Mr. Jim's? Well, I mean, I can just speak mainly for myself, but I think relatively uh, similar perspectives that Simpson season 1 is very much a uh, a rough season in every aspect. It's uh, throwing a lot of stuff to the wall and seeing what sticks. See... See, you see times in the show when it's a lot more grand and realistic, but also the times where it's more cartoony. And that's uh, that's season one in a nutshell, I think. All right. Uh, did Mr. Jim's look on it favorably? Or is he uh, very much like you and, oh, it's got its rough parts, but, you know, it is a pilot season. You're bound to expect uh, that. Oh, yeah, I'd say hey, everyone kind of shares the same perspective of season one. You wouldn't really put it in the golden age of the show, but it was it was the beginning. It was its rise to success rather than its fall. So it's often looked on more favorably as a season. And that first series episode we are going to be reviewing today is Moaning Lisa from season one, episode six. 
Directed by Wes Archer. Written by Al Jean and Mike Reese. With the original air date being February 11th, 1990. And the couch gag being that Simpsons all pile onto the couch. Maggie pops up in the air for Marge to catch her there. And fun fact, this is apparently also the gag used in the Simpsons arcade game there. So there you are. And as I always ask every single guest, uh, Danny, do you have any kind of nostalgic memories for this one? Oh, very much so. I mean, Bleeding Has Gone Murphy is probably one of the uh, one of the most iconic characters, considering his very small amount of appearances. Despite what the uh, season seven episode would say, where they would claim him he was never a popular character, I, I disagree. I'm quite a fan of Bleeding Gums. And it's an episode that I've just come to appreciate more as I've gotten older and also struggle with mental health, which is very much what Lisa goes through in this episode. Yeah, and we will get to Bleeding Gums as a character in himself there, but I'll just say it's a bit of shame they didn't have him back for a couple more. I mean, I'm glad they did bring him back there, but um, would you have liked to have seen him in a couple more episodes in his prime? Maybe. It's, it's entirely possible we could have got too much of a good thing. Very much just uh, these two episodes are very special, and I wouldn't want to... Um, stagnate them. The one thing I would like is in his second appearance in Round Springfield is if we actually got a full official release recording of Yardley Smith singing Jazzman. Yes. I, that was the peak of that episode for me. Uh, for myself, uh, fun fact as well, I didn't watch season one until I was maybe in my mid teens so i I want to say like 14 years old or so because i remember first ever season i watched was season three i had that burned into my brain my mate had the like dvds when they came out and they always used to show them on the bbc a lot uh when i was growing up and then it just seemed to be the mid seasons and then it jumped to 11 and 12 because we had sky but i just kept off season one because i thought oh it's old it's going to be crap you know what i mean i'm selfishly looking at the animation that but and spoiler folks this one is actually really solid solid for the first season there uh so i'm looking forward to deep dive into it which we shall do now as we open up and we get lisa just blankly staring at the mirror into herself and i only noticed this like the last couple of times re-watching it for this here episode but glum toothpaste there what kind of goddamn brand is that as well just Perched up on the sink, very fitting, and some odd little you know, melancholy music to play is in there whilst Homer's busy banging on the door asking, you know, what the hell is taking so long? Nice little dad touches, oh, did you fall in? <laughs> but um, yeah, Lisa's just walking forlorn and, you know, full of ennui as she leaves. But Bart quickly nips and says, oh, sorry, homeboy, you know, women and children first. And Homer's back to banging on the door. Uh, what do you think of this little opening scene here, Danny, to kick things off? God, how have I never noticed the toothpaste says glum? <laughs> I know, it took me a few rewatches, but yeah. I do genuinely really like this opening, because this, this may be the first, but it won't be the last of the uh, Lisa is sad episodes. But usually all the others will begin with the first act setting up an actual event to make her sad. But in this episode's case, she just woke up feeling that way, which is very legitimate how depression can get to you sometimes and from there we move on down to you know the hustle and bustle of early morning breakfast we have homer 
can't remember in his keys. He's trying to look for them everywhere. And uh, I'll I'll give out now, folks, because this episode has got certain audio gripes that I'm not a fan with in certain uh, effects. And one of them is it's not just with Bart. With Bart, it's he's like it sounds like LeBron James playing on a basketball court. There's always like this sneaker squeaking. And it just it just really took me out of it there. And then they've got a little animation of like when Bart goes, oh, did you check the den? The den, of course, Homer goes away. And you see his eyes just like slowly move down. Like it, it doesn't look natural. It looks really odd. Like no blink and just like uh, they've just cinema, they've uh, digitally gone like that, scaled his little pupils down. It's weird. Um, I know. I was I was thinking that too when I saw it when I was watching it for this when I was rewatching it for this episode. <laughs> just that that random close up of his frozen body but moving yeah. eyes. It just looks like that's somebody shit posted that on somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's very fitting on these Facebook meme f- uh, posts in it. Throughout Homer's busy trying to get his keys and Bart's still messing messing with him. You know, oh, it's hot. you're hot, you're warm, cold, ice cold. What are you getting at? Oh, I mean, your breakfast, man. And just nothing's really going right. But he manages to find the keys in the front door. <laughs> Super dangerous, that. And I'm not ashamed to admit that's happened to me at least twice in my life. It's always been at night as well. So like at the worst time, someone could just let themselves in. I've just put it in, gone to bed, like, where the fuck's my keys? Oh, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Has that ever happened with you, Danny? No, that's never happened, but it is one of my genuine fears. I just think, okay, I've not it's not happened to me yet. But that means I'm just counting down my days. I'm getting closer to when it's eventually going to happen. Something about this whole sequence as well just feels very 1980s sitcom. Just the doofus dad just rump, rumbling, rump, rummaging around looking for his keys and the Dennis the Menace kids just kind of teasing him, eating his green oatmeal i assume oh, i forgot they colored it really oddly in the early scenes but you can't see it folks but through skype and video i'm going yes queen yes king absolutely <laughs> agree with you in physical motion because i've even got on my notes yeah homer is very tv dad in this very 80s sitcom this is very family ties uh family matters and all of that there because it's just and we'll see it later him genu- genuinely trying to um pick up his little daughter's emotions trying to help her up there uh it is very sweet but it seems very very um typical it's not like the simpsons that would go on in a few later seasons of being a bit sarky but a bit well-meaning this is very very earnest exactly that's what i was saying earlier where they don't really sometimes they make it a bit more grounded sometimes they make it more cartoonish sometimes they make it more of like a sitcom trying to find their feet still and also trying to figure out what on earth the uh architecture of the simpsons household is because it's so inconsistent of where every room is ah yes the forever moving architecture there where is that goddamn rumpus room danny i ask good god i shit you not that is another video the real jims has done a whole video analyzing the architecture of the simpsons household and where on earth that room can be sick well there's another recommendation folks get on it we have marge trying to give these cupcakes away but there's only two danny so you know, you're not going to give it to the adult. He should surely share it amongst his kids. But Lisa, you know, a simple cupcake isn't going to cheer me up today. So, of course, in typical man fashion, the boys just high five each other. Get in. And of course, what Lisa's doing is very much just 
yeah, a cupcake is not going to make her feel better, but also give, giving it up is in some ways going to make it worse because now she doesn't even have the cupcake to make her feel good, which is, again, another thing people with mental health issues can do is accidentally make their own situations worse. We've cut to Mr. Largo's music lesson now, singing My Country Tis of Thee. And again, I've only watched this a few times in my life, but this is goddamn God Save the Queen, Danny. I never knew this until now. So Save the Queen must have come before, well, I say come before, before the Americans went and bastardized it there. It just gave me nice and then horrible memories of Euro 2020, Danny. My God, are they really the same song? I. My country, tears of thee, God save her, queen. Yeah, it's the exact oh, same. Oh my God. This is like when I found out that the ABC song and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star are the same melody. Yes, it's it's mind blown there. We need to get onto BuzzFeed and get paid for our shitty views. Like, I'm, I'm just going on Wikipedia to get this information. Like, my okay, my country, tears of thee, was apparently the national anthem until 1931 where they finally wrote their own why the hell are they still doing my country tis of thee then oh i didn't even know it was the u.s national anthem way but i thought it was just a song that they just took but that's oh, that's something else there is there anything else they want to borrow there good lord i can't believe that uh but i shall move on quickly before i shed a tear for our um for our great national team before we got not even screwed over. We did it ourselves were by the Italians there. So I'm I'm trying oh, to fight is... back the floods now, Danny. Thank you. This is like whenever people credit the Jonas Brothers for the song Year 3000. It's oh, a busted Danny, song and it fame. always will be. They didn't cover it, did they? They did. And so many Americans say, oh, I love the Jonas Brothers song Year 3000. It is a busted song. It always will be. Elisa is rebelling in a nice artistic way. She's playing a cold, cold blues there. Disrupting the whole lesson and Largo's giving out to her, saying, why aren't you on beat? Why aren't you doing it? But, sir, I am playing, you know, I'm playing for the homeless family that's living in a car. I'm playing for the fella who's just been sacked from the car factory, giving his job up to a machine and to the man there. I'm doing it for the, and my God, you want to talk about, and I'm not going to go too political, folks, but Lisa's having a nice little socialist way there. I'm all for that. And what does Mr. Largo say? Can you remember Danny? Oh, God, it, make, it makes me win so much when he says none of those unpleasant people are going to be at the recital. Yeah, my God, big fucking Reese Moggs Patel vibes there. Good Lord. Oh, uh, this whole scene just makes me uncomfortable of just how much this public school system is repressing her natural creativity to play a propaganda piece of national patriotism. Well, it doesn't even stop there, a grim day. They get funneled into the cafeteria. They're like cattle to chew at the cud there and then wait for the inevitable food fight. Now, this is very American staple of telly and film there for your comedies and coming-of-age films there. This, it wasn't a thing in my school. We just had legit fights at lunchtime, Danny. I don't know about you. Food fights weren't a thing for me. No, I mean, I feel like food fights is just an invention from television. From what I've been told, you know, like like quicksand. You watch it on tele, you think it's going to be a big part of your life. I've never come across it. Never come across a food fight. But speaking of, again, re-watching it for this, this podcast. The second Bart yells food fight, 
one of the kids pulls out just a full-grown watermelon and chucks it. <laughs> He's been waiting his whole life for that. He had that ready to get revenge on some prick that he wanted to hurt. I didn't even spot that. I've got to have a little scan through, but that's a psychotic weapon. That, do you know how heavy that is and how hard the shell is there? You'll be concussing folks. But she chooses not to participate in this, you know, torrid affair and even gets a big blam of spaghetti in her face. Goes to the and gym J- class. And, and Janie it- encouraging her is probably the most personality we ever get out of Janie. Hey, hey, that's not fair. We had the mention that she'll flood the, what, the the Congress with boys? That's something. <laughs> that's what she likes, food fighting boys. Yeah, Lisa's in gym class now, and much the same, she's not willing to participate there, and the teacher's getting on it and say, oh, the point is, you know, to dodge and weave there, hence the name Dodgeball there. Look, why aren't you playing along? And it, and she comes out with it because she's just too sad, Danny, and she ends up getting peppered with uh, dodgeballs. And we'll you get on to... Really, you oh, know who I really feel sorry for in this dodgeball scene? Who? The one background girl whose head is about three feet long. My God, she must be an easy target. See, this ah. is what you got to do. This is what you got to do for season one. Just look at all the background faces. You will find comedy gold. Have you seen? Uh, I follow some fella on um, Twitter. He's a sketch artist, um, and he's just dedicated to drawing weird little background characters. And he's made a Twitter thread on uh, Simpsons characters. I wouldn't be surprised. I've wanted for a long time just like start an Instagram account, just screen capping all the background Simpsons characters and all the weird goddamn faces you get there. But it's probably already been done. There are some weird freaks out there. Honestly, it's like going to Norwich. This is where we kick off the B story here with Homer and Bart um, going at it on what is essentially Mike Tyson's punch out there. But, you know, it's the Simpsons equivalent. And 48 and 0 humiliating defeats to Bart, you know, the machine gun, Simpson then, nice touch by him. Do you have to do this every single time? Now, is this is this a childhood memory for you, getting your parents to play your consoles, or do they just stay away, Danny? Because I'll delve into mine, but I'll let you go first. Oh, weirdly enough, my mum was the one that was more into gaming. She uh, owned a PS1 before I think I was even born. No. Oh, sick. Or at least when I was a, or at least when I was a baby, at least. So I mean, she would buy games and then I would play the games that she just had herself. But no, the whole sitting down and doing multiplayer with a parent is never really a thing in my household. Oh, that's wicked. You? Do you remember any PS1 games that she had? Oh, she had uh, Tomb Raider, Medieval, Spyro, Crash Bandicoot. Was never allowed to play the Tomb Raider one, though. All oh, right, it's, how- it's those um, it's those angular boobs. You didn't want to put that into your little mind that early. Yes, even though I was like, "Mother, I am five years old. I'm not going to know what they mean." <laughs> Myself, um, I remember not getting a. I think it ended up actually being the family console, and my mum and dad did play bits and pieces. And like your mum, my mum was into some games, just like easily playable ones, nothing too puzzly. But I dis- I've got distinct memory of getting really into Spyro on PS1 and then getting to the final nasty nauk level where you've got to perfectly jump and glide and without going into the lava. Otherwise, you have to go back and earn fucking lives again because the <coughs> 90s was horrible for games like that. And my mum completed the game for me. 
Like, I did the 90% and she did the actual 10% that mattered. It's just incredible. She actually got Nasty Nork and completed the game. And I got to watch the cutscene and just thought, oh, wait, no, I did it. <laughs> oh, no, my, my big my big one for those would have been years later when Sly Cooper 3 came out. So I must have been 10 or 11. And because I have a terrifying fear of the ocean, there is one level there that is underwater where you have to fight against sharks. If I'm, st- I'm still scared of that level now, if I'm honest. Ten-year-old me hmm. lost my shit, so I had to have my mum play that level for me. And then I guess uh, later on, I just have my dad... He would play my wrestling games with me when I was a lot younger, and he would win a few times. But, like, come being 15, 16 with Mario Kart and that, it's just fun watching him. He can, like, steer and he can accelerate, but he can't use weapons, he can't drift and that. And even if I tell him, it's just like, how the f- what the fuck's this shell following me for? Oh, no, bollocks to this. No, I can't do this. It's too much. It's too much to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, three seconds, folks, a new record. Hey, no, I'm not down. I'm... Get up, you. Get up, man. Okay, here we go. Yo, Chunk, back again? Nope. Out of the way. How come he's not ducking? Wait a minute. Wait, I can't get my... Get out of the way, stupid. Not now, Marge. Get out of the corner. Yeah, Homer ends up getting thumped quite literally and in the game. So... Uh, we get Marge coming into the room and saying that, oh, uh, you know, Homer, I need your attention here. Um, we've got a letter from the school and just automatically assumes it's Bart. What have you done now? You look at them. And I didn't realize this is where one of Bart's most early marketable catchphrases come from, Danny. Do you remember which one? Yeah, I, I feel like I must have had this on a poster or something as a kid of him saying, I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. You can't prove anything. Yes, bang on. It's just really surreal going back through these season ones and realizing what they're selecting and what they're choosing to market there. Because um, you must have seen it, but all those big, um, the big plushies they had and all the like gear and the figurines they had, all with like the um, blue, it was like on a blue background. And then it's just The Simpsons, just big 90s text there. And it's all worth about like 200, 300 quid now there. And I'd always silly you, like, I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. That was one. Underachiever and proud of it. It's all season one stuff there. It's just very surreal to see it actually came from the series and it wasn't thought up by a focus group. Back in the day when they unironically tried to market Bart as some kind of a bad boy. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's still always going to be wild to me, looking back at how the Simpsons were the peak of controversy in the 90s. Like, this is going to destroy culture when this is like so soft family friendly comedy these days and ironically a lot of those supposedly family friendly shows from the 80s don't hold up anymore but people still go back to the original simpsons bart's even shocked the fact that oh no it isn't me it's lisa and the reason is lisa refuses to play dodgeball because she is sad and i guess this is where um if we want to we'll get into well being sad and mental health and possibly depression as well there um for myself i'm generally a positive person or quite chipper usually there but i can i will happily admit that i do have some sad days whether it's stress of work or a plan's fallen through like trying to meet up with someone and they cancel or a few everything in between there but i can honestly say apart from when my mother had 
some big disease that I won't get into there for about half a year. Um, I don't think I've been genuinely depressed because how I view depression is if you can't get out of bed and do what you can, then that's depression. That might sound a bit backwards, but just from what I see and what I understand of it, which is little compared to some folk, but I can honestly say I've probably only been properly depressed for like one long period of my life. Thankfully, uh, Danny, uh, how have you dealt with sadness yourself there? Yeah, no, sadly, depression is something that comes up quite often with me. So that's one of the reasons why I relate to this episode quite a lot. Just particularly the way how Lisa presents it. And sometimes just the world can be such a cynical and awful place and you feel so small and there's nothing you can do about it. But also and even just on the day-to-day activities where the recycling of your own life and your own procedures can drain any kind of spirit from you how the system can even force you to not not even take away take away your chance to actually express yourself. The people close to you, as you see in this scene here, where Homer is trying to be a good dad, trying to understand his daughter's emotions, but he simplifies it too much and is trying to either solve the problem or ignore it entirely. And just stuff like, like when Lisa is, uh, Lisa can't play dodgeball because she's too sad. It's a very simple physical thing to go through, but she just cannot find herself to get the energy just on basic things like that and i find that so relatable and i think this is very mature very early on in the simpsons history like who who was it is it it's sam simon is the one that's often credited as the one that gave the simpsons this kind of emotional intelligence isn't it yeah he's remember- the writer and he brought in all the a lot of uh, veteran writers and new upstarts as comedy writers Yes, because I remember, I and I don't, I've, I've been looking to try and find a source for this quote, but I cannot find it. But I, it's always stuck to me if when you think of the main three creators is Matt Groening made some art, James L. Brooke made it smart, and Sam Simon gave it hearts. Oh, I like that. I like that, Danny. Like you've touched on, I do like the touch of Homer, again, like a typical sitcom dad. He's trying to understand his daughter, but then it's just kind of resort to, well... Uh, like when she talks about just how the openness of it, you know, oh, what are we here for? You know, what's the point? Why are we even alive? Well, uh, come on, ride the horsey. <laughs> uh, I, I like the touch as well, again, because it's pilot season and Lisa's not, you know, as smart as an adult yet and is going to cut back at Homer. She goes, I appreciate you for trying. That's a very nice touch there. She's obviously still sad, but she's appreciates that a father as horrible as it's gone he's actually trying his best to cheer up as a little girl i think this is actually a good precursor episode to the big emotional climax to lisa's substitute establishing at the best of times this relationship of homer genuinely does care about his daughter but is not necessarily smart enough to express it in the right way and lisa being smart enough to understand that still appreciates it uh, we've now got uh, bits where I don't, this seemed a bit fillery. Like, I understand uh, Marge drawing a bath because that helps her up and that puts her in a good mood. But it's just a bit of, oh, Bart, vacuum. Why have I got to? Well, we've all got to do our thing. Come on, boy. And then vacuuming the cards and then getting Maggie to choose between Lisa and Bart and going for the TV, which was cute. But I just, it didn't seem necessary, Danny. Am I 
out of the ballpark here, or have you? Uh, can you relate to this? I mean, to be fair, all all of most of what Bart does in this episode is basically B plot filler. I think what you could say for this one is, you know, Homer making Bart uh, vacuum the carpet. That feels like a very parent thing to do to sometimes randomly punish the kids. They're humans and they don't don't always make the right choices. But again, and uh, vacuuming up the cards, trying to be that Dennis the Menace type rapscallion. The main thing I always think of with this actual sequence is that very rarely in the show do you actually get the three siblings interacting, particularly yeah. Bart and Maggie. So it's actually kind of a special scene when you think about it. And for Lisa, she's she's even lost the youth, the future generation. She can't even seem to connect to them, I believe. Or maybe I'm just reaching into nothing there. She still goes for the TV anyway. You can't argue against that. No. And very fitting as well. The kids, I know, in a later season as well, uh, they end up hugging the team whilst Homer's on public is on um the, like public trial for some horrible sexual harassment claim, and just are you hugging the TV? No. Ah, <laughs> uh, so like baby-like uh, siblings. <laughs> We're back to punch out, and Bart's whipped him again. You know, oh, you're really horrible at this, and but it's fine. It's a distraction because. You can't do it with that infernal racket of Lisa playing the blues there. Oh, and this is so heartbreaking. Just, oh, I'm just playing the blues, Dad, and a little tear. And Emma says, well, you play the blues if you want. No, that's fine. I'll just do some <sighs> this. I know it's to do with musical instruments, but I'll just do something. Just, <laughs> it's just feel, It just sounds odd. I know it's contextual and it's the right word, but it's just odd. Okay, I'll just... Uh, continue with some fingering, Danny, if that's too loud for you. No, you you clack away all you want, honey, there. It's just uh, crushing stuff, Danny. But it's also another example of Homer's deflection there, like did with Bart vacuuming. He sucks at the video game, he blames it on Lisa making a lot of noise, even though it's obviously not a connected thing. Hey, I also remember, like, any time it focused on Lisa playing her sax, as a kid, it made me really want to play the saxophone. I even still vividly remember telling my mom, I want to play saxophone. And she said, all right, Lisa. <laughs> she could see through you. Nice. So Lisa sadly clacks away, but she hears this riotous big scream from a saxophone in the distance. And she's got to find that sound. And she walks all the way there with her own sax on apparently kitchen tiles. Because she goes through, she goes through like pavement and then tarmac. And then somewhere else down in the like sewer or the trailway. And it's all the same audio effects of like high heels walking on kitchen tiles. That took, again, the, it just took me out of it, Danny. I just, I don't know what did it. It's just poor uh, audio choices. Thankfully, that's never distracted me because I get more or engrossed in just honestly the beautiful visuals of that sequence of Lisa walking to Blings with the giant blue moon behind them. Very illogical, but man, does it look good. Oh, it's a, it's a cracking art direction. I mean, credit to Wes Arch there. That was a beautiful um, that was a beautiful still. Whilst Lisa's, you know, out in the middle of the night and she meets bleeding gums, uh, Homer and Marge end up having bad dreams. Marge being of her, I don't want to say horrible mother because it's obviously, it worked for her, but well-meaning but backwards- parenting how do you describe this stanny there 
I am just so fascinated by it because Marge probably gets the least amount of background development of the actual Simpsons family. Her mother has only ever really been plot relevant in one episode, and even then that was told from the point of view of Grandpa. Uh, her sisters, from all intents and purposes, are kind of bitches to her as well, both in childhood and passive-aggressive as an adult, yet she still seems to maintain a relationship that's never actually been explored. So this whole sequence of her mum repressing her own emotions and forcing her to smile because that show shows how good of a mother you have. It's all about her own mother and just how this is integrated into a lot of her personality as this sheltered suburban middle-class white woman. So I, I think this is generally might be the most impactful scene of the episode or at the very least sets up the most impactful scene. So whilst Marge is regressing her a backwards childhood <laughs> a trauma there um, Homer's dreaming about uh, Punch-Out! He's actually in the game and I like the animation it is like 16-bit and just the movements of like Bart, go easy on me, I'm your dad and it's just very blocky nice little touch there very well done Wes Archer and it's so horrifying when Bart knocks him out they actually wakes up screaming as well and the, <laughs> and the realisation of um Oh, it's the saddest day we know when you can beat your dad at everything. Bart <laughs> learned that at age four. <laughs> like, what, even like sports and driving and everything else? Like, what a, to quote, come down me, dear Lord, Homer, what a sad little life. <laughs> we also have Marge saying, oh, you know, Maggie needs all the attention and Bart's a tear away now and Lisa's becoming her own woman. And, uh, you know, well, we'll keep referring back to it, but this is very just. 80s sitcom. Oh, you know, is this a underwear thing? Like, oh, you fucking idiot. Good night, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight away, oh, I'm sick of your shit. Go to bed, right? I do love, even after his uh, his nightmare, he immediately goes back to sleep. We have Bleeding Gums walking through some little jazzy notes and some tunes there. And I guess it's where we mention a little bit of Ron Taylor. The guest voice behind Bleeding Gums there and doing a bit of research there. He's been in L.A. Law and um, Changing Places. He was in some 80s comedies and musicals and that. But best known for Bleeding Gums and being the voice of um, Seymour, the evil plant in Little Shop of Horrors. There you go. Um, Think of it there. Yes, he was the original theatre voice. And I don't know if he was the film Seymour as well, Danny, but he's this wonderful man with this big, booming, brassy voice there. And he's a perfect fit for Bleeding Gums, don't you think? Oh, very much. I did not know he originally played... Um... No, he didn't. He wouldn't have played Seymour, because that's the uh, main character. He would have played Aubrey 2, the plant. Aubrey 2, that's it. Thank you. Yes, Aubrey 2. He played the plant in the original uh, run on Broadway. I, I can definitely pitch that. I've only ever watched the film version. I don't. I'm looking at his a uh, Wikipedia page now, and I don't think I've probably seen him in um one speci- in any other thing. Just doing a lot of guest star work in other shows. Mm-hmm. But I do very much enjoy him as Bling Gums. I love. He has such a there's a gentle intelligence to him. And every time him and Lisa have a conversation, it never feels like he's talking down to her at all. But also during this scene, 
I don't know what it is. The animation is wild between them, especially on Bleeding Gums, where they sort of exaggerate specific limb portions, and especially his mouth is just all over the place. That very rubbery season one style. Oh, yeah. His mouth is popping up all over the place there. It reminds me of, uh, like, in Dragon Ball Z, you know where they're going to get hit into, like, this big bit of rocks because it's outlined and it's just moving mad there. So, yeah, abs- um, with you, Danny, absolutely. For me, um, he reminds me a lot of, like, uh, very, very specifically, like, an 80s Disney film, like a side character there. Like, this, someone will get thrown into the trash there like a cat. And then a raccoon will come and say, oh, what's wrong? Tell me you're lost. And then they go off on the little adventure there. So he's yeah, very I could, on I could totally level. see that. Mm. I could totally see that. And they're busy jamming away there. And this, I'll cue it up now, is my favourite bit of the episode there. There's not many gags in this. It's all you know, emotion and heart and just nice little lovely bits throughout and overcoming stuff. But this song, I'm a big fan of this song there. And I forgot Yardley Smith can actually sing. And she does a bang-up job with Ron Taylor here. Oh, I'm so lonely Since my baby left me I got no money and nothing is free. Oh, I've been so lonely since the day I was born. All I got is this rusty, this rusty old one. I got a bratty brother. He bugs me every day. And this morning, my own mother, she gave my last cupcake away. My dad acts like he belongs. He belongs in the zoo. I'm the saddest kid in grade number two. What do you think of this song? I am so lonely. Danny? I can't remember if it's before or after the song where Lady Gums says, you've got a lot of talent for someone with no real problems. Yes, I <laughs> love that line. <laughs> Which is such a harsh line, but when you think about their lyrics, it's true. Like, Blake goes thing about how, like, like he's so lonely, he, he doesn't make much money, he's got no money. And then Lisa's there going, I've got a bratty brother. <laughs> yeah, join the club. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't get annoyed by their sibling? Yeah, you know, eternal loneliness and my last cupcake getting eaten. They're one of the same, Danny. One of the same. But a nice line by Bleeding Gum summons some stuff up. Oh, well, this was good to do but i don't feel any better oh well the blues isn't about making you feel better it's about making other people feel worse making a few bucks while you're at it isn't that the truth (laughs) and we see and like while he's busy plugging i've got this cool little jazz club it'd be cool if you could come along (laughs) marge is coming zooming at the car lisa get away from that jazz man (laughs) this is this is definitely my favorite joke of the episode because my favourite Marge is always uh, ignorant suburban mother. And her turning to Bleeding Gums, I'm very politely saying, nothing personal, I just fear the unknown. Yeah, I mean, for the for the situation, she could have said a hell of a lot worse there. Like, if it was, Especially if it was like my dad as well, but I'll just leave it there. So 
familiar um i don't just don't like the unfamiliar there that's very much it's very in keeping there ah well done but also i remember as a kid even then i was thinking like oh come on marge you're overreacting she's she's having a bit of fun with a new friend but now looking back i'm like okay yeah no if i'm a parent i find out my my daughter has (laughs) ran away from home in the middle of the night she's with a strange man (laughs) on her own yeah i'm there like get away from him get in the car we're going now so as cool as it was lisa meeting bleeding gum it still hasn't broke her out of this sad funk here. We're back at the house. Bart's trying to cheer her up now as like a last resort. So we get a phone call into um, Mo's Tavern with a crank call. Uh, and I don't know off my memory. This isn't the first ever crank call, is it? No, I feel they that... do want... Did they do one in the pilot, I think, maybe? I feel they might. I feel they might have. I know they definitely did one in that mad episode where the babysitter bandits are in and all the animation's funky. But that's like mm-hmm. the very last episode of this season. It may be, you know, we were. I'll do some little post work as well and find that out for you, gentle listener there. But it could be the very first crank call. We'll uh, wait and see. But also, I find this just be a very adorable scene. Just the, the part with Marge saying to Bart, but you love your sister, don't you? And he just very awkwardly tries to shuffle out of it. It's like, like, come on, I know the answer, you know the answer. That's just a very honest and very cute moment between them. Even him actually is trying to cheer her up, but it has to be on something he also finds joy in. Because obviously he's a 10-year-old boy. He's not going to know how to give proper therapy to someone when they're depressed. <laughs> no, 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 never. <laughs> we have Homer now. He's a truly beaten man with this punch-out game. So much so that he's going to have to delve into the depths, go to the arcade to do his research there. Much like in Yakuza, if you can't if you can't get past Mr. Big, you've got to go for that Kamakian training there and come back bigger and stronger there. So good man, Homer. He goes into the arcade and he just goes get some course hurts uh, from my laundry there. Can you imagine now? You'd never get this, like a man in his thirties being ashamed of going to an arcade. That's like the majority of my friends now. That's like all millennials, surely, Danny. This is why I find this B-plot to be so dated, because it makes sense in context of the episode, because Homer wouldn't have grown up with video games. But nowadays, if you if you were Bart's age when this episode aired, you would be older now than Homer is in this episode. So he very much would have grown up with video games. So the idea of a grown man going to an arcade to play video games is not that strange at all. But again, it's kind of continuing. And the mother shows up and says, get away from that strange grown man. Yeah, I, I think like just again, through modern eyes and that just the woman go and a man of your age hanging out in an arcade. Like, I understand that for him being like a wrong. And but still, like, if you've got genuine enjoyment out of it, like fucking shame me, Karen, get away. Like I can imagine in modern days. If some woman did that to like a group of, well, like men in the late 20s, she'd just get told to fuck off. <laughs> also, she even says to the kids, like, stop wasting your money here. And I just think, wasting his money? He got 2,000 matches on a single quarter. That is good investment. That's incredible. But I've put in my notes that 2,000 fights off of a quarter, like bollocks. What, does he just live at the arcade? Does he not go to school? Like, they've got to shut the machines. I'm trying to think, do they shut the machines off? They've got power down or something there. Like, they can't just have it on just for him there. He's not VIP. Good God. Yeah, I mean, clearly he's not spending that much money there. (laughs) So they're not going to keep it open for him. It's entirely possible 
that the child was lying. I'm not going to rule out that option. <laughs> this super suave kid, he's like undefeated. Again, like we said, 2,000 fights on one quarter there. What a hero. And he's just picking up his next opponent there. And you just see me, 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 me. And then Homer just big man just comes out with all his quarters there. First of all, the state of this fucking night. I say state of this 90s kid. This was probably in development in 89 or 88. State of this fucking late 80s kid. Who's he? He's come straight from a fucking old Sprite or Coca-Cola ad, isn't he? Taste the flavor in his fucking shades. The state of him, Danny. Trying very hard to make uh, the cool kid design. And he's got like the Charlie Brown eyes underneath the sunglasses. It's always weird when, when they give the Simpsons characters just dots for eyes instead of actual circles. Yeah, piss holes in the snow under those cool shades. <laughs> but he ends up picking over because, you know, do it or you bark like a dog. Oh, fine. Oh, you got it, Fido. Oh, it just made me cringe. <laughs> what a hilarious line. Oh, it's funny because a grown man said bark, bark. I know but the famous saying Simpsons did it, but yeah, Simpsons did it, but Bob's Burgers did this better. <laughs> they did. Yes. Uh, I can't think of the game, but yeah, when Bob does it for so long that he becomes an expert and he ends up living in that 16-bit world. And he mistakes Linda for, like, what, Princess uh, Plum? Yeah, something like that. It was, like, early on in, like, season four or whenever they did mm. it. Yeah, she's just not giving her, oh, Princess Plum, here. Oh, Bobby, what the hell's going on now? <laughs> well, looks like you're a lot of quarters, old man. That's okay. Well, the tips you've given me, I'm going to pound the tar out of a certain little smarty pants tonight. <laughs> Howie! I thought I told you to stop wasting your money in this stupid place. Uh, sorry, And Mom. you, a man of your age, you should be ashamed of yourself. Excuse me, I think I hear my wife calling. And now we have, well, the climax of the A story there, and one that we've seen on Tumblr back in the day. It will get shared on Twitter every now and then. This wonderful, wonderful uh, piece, this big crescendo there. Danny... You're the biggest fan of this episode there. Uh, I'll let you take it away here. What happens with Lisa and Marge? I think... So, this is Marge initially uh, pushing on her repression onto Lisa as well. The idea of, of just fake your emotions and eventually they'll be real. If you are sad, just pretend you're not and that'll be okay. And so when Lisa begrudgingly just gives up, succumbs and decides to go along with this, and very quickly, Marge sees how bad of a choice this is, and how every guy in this Ralph Wiggum wannabe fucker tries to take advantage <laughs> of her. The teacher, yet again, tries to suppress her natural creative spark. And then Marge just steals Lisa back. <laughs> very famously, the teacher says, hmm, so that's where she gets it from. <laughs> and then... In, honestly, what is quite rare in the show is a genuine emotional moment between Marge and Lisa of her saying, okay, you're sad. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, which God. Parents apologizing to their kids, realizing they made a mistake. How fucking rare is that? Very... She says, I'm sorry. If you are sad, you can feel sad. We're here to support you. And then when you're not sad, we're still here to support you. And just, oh, it's just so wonderful. Now, Lisa, listen to me. This is important. I want you to smile today. 
But I don't feel like smiling. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel inside, you know? It's what shows up on the surface that counts. That's what my mother taught me. Take all your bad feelings and push them down, all the way down, past your knees until you're almost walking on them. And then you'll fit in, and you'll be invited to parties, and boys will like you, and happiness will follow. No, come on, you can do better than that. Oh, that's my girl. I feel more popular already. Hey, uh, nice smile. Thanks. Hey, what are you talking to her for? She's just gonna say something weird. Not me. You know, I used to think you were some sort of a brainiac, but I guess you're okay. Uh-huh. Hey, why don't you come over to my house after practice? You can do my homework. Okay. Five minutes, people, five minutes. Now, Miss Simpson, I hope we won't have a repeat of yesterday's outburst of unbridled creativity. No, sir. So that's where she gets it. Lisa, I apologize to you. I was wrong. I take it all back. Always be yourself. You want to be sad, honey? Be sad. We'll write it out with you. And when you get finished feeling sad, we'll still be there. From now on, let me do the smiling for both of us. Okay, Mom. I said you could stop smiling, Lisa. I feel like smiling. And that's the first time when it and someone when Lisa is actually happy because that's all that she needed. She just needed somebody to listen to her and to support her, not necessarily try to fix the problem, but just let her know she's not alone. It's so expertly done uh, here again. Like you said, credits to Sam Simon and um, Gene and Reese, a formidable combo throughout the seasons. Here they did a bang up job with uh, getting the emotional heft, and every time I watch it, I, like. I know what's going to happen, but I still feel the cringe and the anxiety of Marge. I'm like, oh, no, God, it's going to repeat again. And then just her going, okay, like doing the homework. I'm like, no, fucking come on. And then Marge turns the whip around and tells her, if you want to be sad, be sad. I'll be sad with you. It's just, and the score, it just swells. And it's perfect, Danny. It's truly flawless. I'm with you. It's uh, absolutely fantastic. I don't know what else I can say. With that A-plot wonderfully wrapped up, we're now seeing what happens with the B-plot there. Can Homer avenge? Can he get that one victory over his son there? Well, we're about to find out because he's got his Komakian uh, style there. He is uh, a fully trained up Kiru Kazuma in Yokozuna. there. He's ready to fight Mr. Big and the Money Man uh, in the form of Bart. And he's just dodging, dodging, blocking. He's doing the double dodge, you know, much like in Street Fight. If you double dodge, uh, with, um, I think it's uh, Freezer, Sub-Zero, that's it, uh, then it doesn't work. Like, if you go against Scorpion, he's doing all that method, wonderful animations, and he's just rocking and socking Bart there, uh, adding his own little arrogant commentary as Bart's been doing the whole time. Well, you better get ready to go to sleep, because here comes my right! And then the TV goes out, and a wonderful yelp from, oh no! A wonderful yelp from Homer. And Marge one of my one ripped. of my favorite one of my favorite high pitched screams from Homer. That's that's a high list. Yes, it's one of mine as well. Absolutely. Bart the bloody Pope Simpson is on the ropes. He is hoping I'll put him out of his misery. Well, you're in luck, Bart. Here comes my right. 
Marge has ripped the pug out of the socket because she's trying to explain that, well, Lisa's feeling better. We're going to go to the jazz club. It's something cool and new to do. But Homer's so lost in the game that she rips the console plug right out of the wall. And the game, no, I was going to beat the boy. And Bart, realizing this is good PR and HR time, I'd just like to announce my uh, retirement from video boxing uh, undefeated. Oh, no. And Danny, why was it? I don't know about you. But why was it? It was always when, uh, for modern times now, it wouldn't be so much, oh, I'm at this big fight and then rip the cord out. But it's always when I was playing Call of Duty online. It's always the online games. And it's like, right, Tyler, come off that. We've got to go Brantana's to get your new school shows. No, mum, it's online. I can't save the game. No, save your game. No, it doesn't work like that. Come on. <laughs> oh, many, many uh, afternoons on a Saturday was just like lost. I could have got the golden deagle i could have got the golden desert eagle mum but you ah did this ever happen to you danny yeah and it doesn't matter how many times i've seen this episode i always feel bad for homer there which literally marge for an episode where you're supposed to learn then just listen to people and you can better understand them just listen to homer give him five more seconds he will be with you but no you've ruined his night that <laughs> you're going to a club you didn't need to leave exactly then. If I was like in the middle of a game and it was like the super important final boss fight and somebody showed up and unplugged it, I'm not speaking to that person for a very long time. The family end up going to the jazz hole there to watch Bleeding Gums uh, perform. And this is how the little lady who's going to be big in jazz one day. And it's a rendition of I'm the saddest kid. Thanks to Lisa's vision and inspiration there. And... That plays us out nicely into the credits as we end the, as we end this episode, folks. So um, I'll ask you, Danny, what are your final thoughts? And as always, can I have your unique rating out of five, please? I think this might be the first genuinely good episode of The Simpsons. It is ah. probably it is probably the only episode from season one I rewatch regularly. I think. It laid a lot of the groundwork for future episodes, uh, future even better episodes like Bart Gets an F and especially Lisa's Substitute. I believe if this episode wasn't around, I don't think The Simpsons would have lasted. I think this is the one that showed a lot of people that this is something special. As for rating out of five, ooh, what could I give it? I'm not going to give it a full set because even though the emotions are very strong, it's the comedy lacks because of it. I think the B plot is very standard and boring so i'm gonna give it four out of five jazzy blues clues Ooh, all right very nice very nice there um for myself i did enjoy the emotional heft it's nice seeing it's nice seeing characters be sad let me elaborate it's good to see them go through the journey of sadness there our you know a bojack horseman uh, that was uh, to come many decades later and, you know, more modern cartoons and animated sitcoms, they deal with that quite well. Uh, so it was refreshing to see here in 1990. But, you know, I'm a jokes guy. I come from a Simpsons to laugh and, you know, as much as it didn't need it in this episode, I prefer it. Uh, and the B-plot was all right. I could resonate with it, but it was standard 80s sitcom hack kind of material there so for that reason i'll give it a nice middle three out of five 
um, Mike Tyson punch outs. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.